The scripture reading is from 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 7. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather we, rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Let's take a moment and pray for God to speak to us from his word. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit who inspired those who wrote it. We pray that that same spirit would now illumine the word, shine light on it, and from it into our hearts. In Christ's name, amen. So one, one thing that this passage teaches is that spiritual conversion is a work of God's grace. Uh, whenever, whenever anyone turns to Christ and truly uh, receives Him by faith as their Savior, as their Lord, there's a sense in which God has done a miracle in that person's life. Um, verse 4 tells us that those who do not believe the gospel, and let's face it, guys, there's, there was a moment in each one of our lives when that would have described us, right? It says that those who do not believe the gospel are prevented from seeing the truth of the gospel by spiritual forces that are outside of their own control. Verse 4 says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. We just, we, we, can't, we can't see it. We're blind. We just, we, someone could tell us about Christ and we don't understand it. We just can't see our need for a Savior, the beauty of the Savior. There's a blindness there. Well, somebody might ask, well, how, how then does anyone ever come to faith in Christ? Well, God takes the blindness away. Verse 6 says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made His light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. So spiritual conversion, it's a, it's a work that God does in us by His grace. And over the years, theologians have used different terms to describe this work of God. Some will call it the work of regeneration. Others have called it the effectual call of the Holy Spirit. Sounds kind of like an old-fashioned phrase, right? And this, this work is described in Scripture in a number of ways. For example, in John chapter 3, Jesus said it's like being born 
again. Just like you're a new person now. Ephesians chapter 2 described it as being raised from the dead. Ezekiel 36, Ezekiel kind of, he, he described it as sort of a heart transplant. God takes away your, your old hard heart of stone and he replaces it with a living, beating heart that can respond to his message. The uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism in modern English uh, describes God's work in our conversion this way. It says, God's Spirit convinces us that we are sinful and miserable. He enlightens our minds in the knowledge of Christ, and He renews our wills. This is how He persuades us and makes us able to receive Jesus Christ, who is freely offered to us in the gospel. So conversion is it's a work of God, a work of grace. Now, what I'd like to do today is just ask, okay, if we accept that truth, that conversion is a work of God that he does in us, what are some implications of that for the church, some implications for us as Christians? And, and I'd just like to point out three. One, one implication of this truth is honesty. We should be honest with people about the gospel. Since, since, listen, since God is the one who enlightens people's minds and God is the one who opens people's hearts, we, listen, we should never try to trick people or pressure people into becoming Christians. Pe pe no, people don't come to faith because of the, 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 how cool the preacher is or how clever the, the gospel presentation might be. In fact, sometimes, sometimes a super slick gospel presentation, it just turns people off. This week I was uh, looking at a website called Atheist Forum. It's sort of a chat room for atheists to uh, write about their experience. And this is what one person wrote there. Uh, this person wrote, during, during my time as a Christian, I met some people who were not exactly honest with others about their attempts to evangelize them. Their reasoning was that winning someone over to Christ was more important than anything else, so they didn't mind being a little bit dishonest. In some churches that I attended, we were encouraged to be friendly to newcomers because they might not know Jesus. When people tell me that their new church is friendly, I always get suspicious that this is just another sneaky tactic to win converts. I've had friends who pray that someone will convert even when they're telling that person to their face that they accept their beliefs or their non-belief. In many cases, the Christian friend is just waiting for the right moment when they can pounce. Usually, this is when their friend is vulnerable, like after the death of a loved one. Guys, aren't you, aren't you glad that the Bible tells us that God doesn't want us to be treating people that way? God doesn't want us to be out there trying to trick people or schmooze people into, into coming to faith. Listen, since, since spiritual conversion is a work God does, we don't have to do that to anyone. And, and you see that here in this passage. Verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, in other words, because we know that we've been saved by God, by grace. Verse 2, he says, Therefore, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, he says, by setting forth the, tr 
the, the truth plainly. We commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. That phrase there that he uses, setting forth the truth plainly. You could also translate that through a clear manifestation of the truth. It, it's a word, setting forth plainly is a word that it, it, has, it has its roots in the ancient Greek word for a torch. You know, a torch that you light and you set it on fire and it lightens, lightens up the room. And it's almost like Paul is saying, here's what we do. We just lay the gospel message out there. We just lay it out there. And then we light a torch and we hold up the light so people can see. We want them to see exactly what we're saying. We don't try to hide anything. We want them to know exactly what we mean. We don't try to spin the message. In other words, he just says, we just, we just tell people the truth. And someone says, well, what is the truth? The, the, the truth, according to the gospel, is that this entire world... Everyone in it is under the sentence of God's judgment, under the sentence of God's wrath. We, we have all sinned. We've all transgressed the, the holy law of God. To put that plainly, we all deserve hell. But the good news is, motivated by a love that is so amazing we can't even comprehend it, God himself, in the person of his Son, came into this world on the cross, he took wrath. He endured hell on the cross in the place of anyone and everyone who will come to him in faith and trust in him. Why? So that we can be spared from hell. So that we can be spared from judgment and we can receive God's eternal kingdom. John 3 verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Isn't that good news? And, and here's the thing. It's God's job to convince people of that. It's not ours. We just, if, if, you, if you felt a burden, like it's up to you to talk people into being Christians, would you please just unburden yourself of that? That's up to God. Our, our job is, you know, yes, tell the message, but we, we, don't, have to, we don't have to spin it we don't have to leave out the hard parts. We don't have to beat people up with the hard parts. We don't have to, we don't have to just, Paul just says, we just lay it out there. We're just honest because it's up to God to make it real to someone. So three implications of this truth. First, honesty. The, se the second is humility. Uh, so sometimes, I don't know if this is fair or not, but sometimes Christians have the reputation of being people who walk around always thinking that they're better than everyone else, right? You know, we're just looking down on others because of how sinful they are. And if you, you know what, if you really understand the way salvation works, you would never, ever have that attitude. Again, looking at verse 1, Paul says, it is through God's mercy, God, through God's mercy that we have this ministry. Paul, Paul is saying, listen, the only reason I belong to Christ, the only reason I'm serving the Lord, the only reason is because of grace. See, the apostle understood that just like everyone else, there was a time in his life when he also had been blinded to the truth of the gospel. In fact, if you know the story of Paul, Paul was so blind to the goodness of Christ that he, that he actually hated Christ. He hated the church. He persecuted the church. He was blind to it. Well, what happened to Paul? 
Well, here's what he says in verse 6. He would say it this way. God made his light shine in my heart to give me the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Paul said, God, God did that for me. Listen, if, uh, if today you are trusting Christ as your Savior, you may not be the greatest Christian in the world. Sometimes you're pretty discouraged about how you're doing, but you're, you are trusting Christ as your Savior. Listen, you may not remember when it happened to you. Most of us, I, don't, I think we don't notice when it happens to us. But if you're trusting Christ today, at some point in your life, God did that for you. God made his light shine in your heart to give you the, the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the, in the faith, face of Christ. Why do you think you're here? Why do you think you're following Jesus? Because God the Holy Spirit did that for you. Now, obviously, that's not something that you would brag about or boast about, right? I mean, look, let me tell you what happened this morning. This morning, the sun rose in the east, and it shined its light through the windows of my apartment. Can you imagine if I boasted about that? Look what I did. Look how the light's coming in my apartment. Listen, that would just be absurd. It's, it's just as absurd for anyone to boast that they've come to know Christ. Right? Ephesians chapter 2 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. There's a Christian author named Josue Barrios, and he wrote this. He said, if, if we believe the gospel, our believing is not due to us being better or more righteous than unbelievers. We believe because God had mercy on us. Our conversion, he says, was a miracle of God's grace. You've probably heard of the, the turtle. Have you heard of the turtle that he woke up one day and he found that he was sitting on top of a fence post, right? And what did the turtle say? The turtle said, I have no idea how I got here but I'm sure I did not do it myself, right? And there's a sense in which every Christian who loves and knows Jesus should say the same thing. I don't really know how, how in the world did I get here to be a follower of Christ, but I'm sure I don't get the credit for it. God did this for me. In, in verse 7, Paul says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. Isn't it something? He refers to salvation as a treasure, something of priceless value. And he says, isn't this crazy? This treasure is in us. We're just muddy old dirty jars of clay. How in the world did this happen? Why did this happen? Well, he says this, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God, not from us. Why would we ever boast about something someone else did? God did this. We just give him glory and scratch our heads and wonder, why in the world would he do this for me? There's an old hymn by Isaac Watts that um, he's sort of describing what it will be like when we're standing in Christ's presence in the, in the kingdom of heaven. And the hymn goes like this. How sweet and awesome is the place with Christ within the doors, 
where everlasting love displays the choicest of her stores, while all our hearts and songs join to admire the feast, each of us will cry with a thankful tongue, Lord, why was I a guest? Why was I made to hear your voice and enter while there's room when thousands made a wretched choice and rather starve than come? It was the same love that spread the feast that sweetly drew us in or we too would have refused to taste and would have perished in our sin. Just sort of a poetic way of saying, when we get to heaven and we see the, the banquet of God's goodness before us, we'll say, well, I, I can't believe I was invited here. Who in the world brought me here? All the glory to God for what he's done for me. So th this truth in Scripture, it, that, that conversion, true change in our heart that brings us to Christ, it's a work of God. How, sh how should that truth impact us? First, honesty. We don't, need to, we don't need to deceive people to make them Christians. Just let God do his, his job. Honesty. Secondly, humility. Why would we ever boast of something God did for us? And then the third implication is hope. Hope. Listen, when, when someone you love, and I know some of you, this, this describes your experience, someone you really love has heard the gospel and rejected it. You can just lose hope. It breaks your heart. The Apostle Paul understood that. In, in, in Romans chapter 9, he talks about what he, he calls them, my kinsmen according to the flesh. And in a broader sense, he's talking about uh, all the Jewish people in the world. But in a more specific sense, he's talking about his relatives. He's talking about family members of his who've heard the gospel and they've turned it down. He's talking about them. Here's what he says about these family members who've, who've refused to trust in Christ. He says, I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart for them. Now, someone would say, why is he so upset just because they don't believe what he believes? Let people believe whatever they want. Why would, he, why would he be grieving over this? Well, verse 3 gives us the answer here. It says, if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. The Bible says that people who reject the gospel perish. To, to, to leave this world, to end this life without Christ is to enter an eternity of sadness that we can't even comprehend. So those who know Christ are just, they're brokenhearted when people they know and care about don't respond to the message of Christ and they reject it. But here's the point of this passage. Even though you might feel brokenhearted, Paul would say, do not lose hope. Never lose hope. Spiritual conversion is a work of God. And listen, last time I checked, Raul, is this still the case? Last time I checked, with God, nothing is impossible. Nothing. Listen, if it were up to you to be smart enough to, to persuade your friend to become a Christian, yeah, then lose hope, all right? Or if, it, if we're up to your friend to be virtuous enough to come to Christ on her own, then lose hope. But if it's up to God, 
Paul says, verse, verse 1, Therefore, since it's through God's mercy we have this ministry. Because, in, in other words, because we know salvation is by grace. He says, we do not lose heart. I, I think he would say that means we never give up on anyone. Ever. We never write anyone off as beyond the reach of God. These words that he uses in verse 6 are compelling. He, he talks about the work God does when he, he opens our heart to come to Christ. He says, God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts. And you're probably saying, wow, those words sound familiar. They do. This is a clear uh, reference to the story of creation in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis 1 says that the earth was formless and void and darkness darkness was over the surface of the deep everything was darkness and then remember and then God said let there be light and there was light God God created theologians would say God created ex nihilo which is Latin for just saying God created out of nothing he didn't have anything to start with he just created out of nothing he doesn't need anything to work with. That means listen, that God, if you're praying for a friend to come to Christ, God will never say to you, you know what? If your friend would just give me something to work with, if, she, if she'd just give me something to work with, I think maybe I could save her. God will never say that because he doesn't need anything to work with. Romans chapter 4, verse 17 describes our God this way. It says, he is the God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that do not exist. Nothing is impossible with God. Listen, including the spiritual transformation of your friend, of your parents, of your neighbors, of your children. Nothing is impossible with God. When, when, years ago, when I first um, met my wife, before we were even dating, we were both uh, attending this small group Bible study um, over in Elmhurst, Queens. And the, uh, the lady that was leading that Bible study is, is a woman of just great faith. And so one, I remember one evening at the end of the Bible study, she went around to the group and she said, listen, guys, um, God listens to prayer God answers prayer, and nothing is impossible with God. So we're going to go around, and each one is going to, we're going to name the person that we know that we think to be the least likely ever to come to faith in Christ, and we're going to pray for them. And so I remember Sabeda, she raises her hand. She says, my sister, Diana. She says, Anna, Diana, she is just so, her heart is so hard to the Lord. She, she has no interest in Christ. She's always teasing me because I'm a Christian. She, she'll never come to Christ. And so we prayed for Diana. And about th three years later, um, my, by then my sister-in-law, Diana, came to faith in Christ, was baptized. It's 30 years now. She is a woman of rock-solid faith in Jesus Christ. Isaiah 59 verse 1 says, the arm of the Lord is not too short to save. Who is it you're praying for? He can reach anyone. Now, the Apostle Paul knew this from his own experience. You, you know the story of Paul. There was, there was a time in the early days of the Christian movement, if you had gone into any gathering of Christians and said to them, 
who is the least likely person you can imagine who would ever come to faith in Christ? What, 8 out of 10, 9 out of 10 would have mentioned him? Saul of Tarsus, that was his name at the time. Paul, they said, that guy Paul, he will never come to Christ. He hates Jesus. He persecutes the, the church. And God would just say, oh, yeah? You want to see what I can do? So, so listen, um, God can reach anyone. Never give up hope. I would say this even for you. Maybe you're listening to me or listening on the live stream, and you're not trusting Christ today. You know, if you don't, if you don't believe, I can't make you believe. No one can make you believe. You can't even make yourself. What are you just going to say? I'll just start believing. You, can, you can't. But please don't give up hope. God can do that for you. One of the most encouraging promises, I think, in the Bible, Luke chapter 11, Jesus says this. It's so simple. He says, your Father in heaven will give to the Holy Spirit, will give the Holy Spirit to whoever asks. I mean, if, if you're far from Christ, you, part of you wants to believe, but you feel like you can't. You could just take that promise seriously and just begin to pray. God, would you send your spirit to me? Just like you did on that mountain where you revealed the glory of Christ to those unsuspecting disciples. Would you, in a, in a personal way, would you reveal his glory to me? Don't give up hope on anyone. Don't even give up hope on yourself. So, how should this teaching impact us? <laughs> Salvation is from God. You, you know, in, in, Romans, in, in Revelation chapter 7, uh, the Apostle John has this vision of heaven, and he says that in, in heaven he sees a multitude of people too numerous to count. He notices that they are from, he says, from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language. They're standing around the throne of God. There's one thing they keep shouting over and over and over and over again. You know what it is? Salvation belongs to our God. It's not ours. We didn't make it happen. We're no better than anyone else. It's all from Him. Salvation belongs to God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Because that's true, guys, all the pressure of having to convince people to come to Christ, it is off your shoulders. Just be honest. And if your heart ever starts to get proud about how well you're doing, just remember God's the one who picked you up and lifted you out of the dirt. He gets all the glory. And never, ever give up hope. Ever. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we are amazed at your work in saving us. We never in a million years would have turned to Christ in faith if you had in your mercy had not sent your spirit to open our hearts. And so for all eternity, we will thank you for this. We, we pray for those for whom this has not happened. We pray that you will be as merciful to them as you've been with us. And for any today who feel like they are still in the dark, Father, in the name of Jesus, shine, shine your light, we pray. Shine your light on them. In Christ's name, amen.